You are listening to the Extreme Metal Podcast Necropolis, which is brought to you by Jason from Goatcraft and Shelly from HateMeditations.com and Metal Legion Magazine. Welcome to Necropolis. This is the 50th episode of Necropolis. We've gone a long way since the pandemic. And uh, I am Jason, the Master of Ceremonies, also known as Lone Goat from Goatcraft. We do have co-host Shelly returning today from HateMeditations.com, a Metal Asian magazine. Thank you, Shelly, for coming back. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So we have Mike Hill from Tomb Scorpion Throne and Everything Went Black Media. Um, I saw the Scorpion Throne uh, last week. This the debut. It's more of like a black metal project, more black metal than Tombs, I would say. And I thought it was pretty good, so I wanted to invite Mike on the podcast to talk about that as well as Tombs and anything else that might come up, because this guy is a very prolific figure within the metal scene. Um, he has his own media company podcast with Everything Went Black Media. Um, he has been a writer for a, a numerous publications. He's a producer of music. You know, um, he's into Muay Thai. Um and I also saw something on the internet about him having his own uh, coffee company. So uh, many, many things that this guy has been involved with. Um, so he's going to be a, a really a great guest today. So uh, I want to thank you for coming on the program, Mike. Thanks for having me, guys. It's appreciated. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so just kind of Googling uh, tunes in the past few days, I've really soaked my psyche into the music. Uh, initially, I had uh, some difficulty wrapping my mind around what type of genre it is and where the influences are. And uh, yesterday, I actually looked up the Wikipedia page, which I never want to do about bands because who knows what's actually accurate on there. But uh, I saw like uh, Swans was an influence, Joy Division, things of that nature. And I, I kind of see that post-middle tag um, being thrown around about tombs. And I can kind of draw that parallel from Swans and uh, Joy Division being in that post aspect, you know, post is usually like, you know, rock and or indie rock and things of that nature, goth music um, being assimilated under that post label um, or post punk as well. Um, so just kind of delve into your influences. Um, uh, what, what are your actual influences? Is Wikipedia correct or like? Do you feel that you're such a career musician, um, you know, being involved with metal so long that you just have like this mass assimilation of influences and the way you're able to communicate is through those? And um, do you feel that, you know, it's essentially just second nature nowadays for you? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't really know about um, like post metal or any of that kind of stuff. I mean, I know. You know, maybe I've seen that thrown around, but like, you know, hipster metal or whatever you want to call it. I mean, I don't, anyone who's ever seen me play live or has known me in person would probably attest to the fact that I'm not a hipster, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I, uh, I just, I like extreme music. <clears throat> I like, you know, Slayer, Black Flag, Sabbath, you know, uh, Venom. But also like Fields of the Nephilim and Swans and Joy Division. And, uh, you know, I just, I don't really sit down and decide, okay, I'm going to write a record that sounds like, you know, this. I just, you know, I try to like write music that comes from the heart and, uh, 
is like an accurate representation of the emotions I'm feeling and that sort of thing. And that's, yeah, that's, that's what, that's what happens. That's why there's such a variety of different textures and ideas and, you know, stuff like that, that gets thrown into the catalog of music that we have, you know, I, you know, I, I, I would get bored if I was only allowed to play just like, okay, you can only, only write songs with blast beats in it, you know, and, it has to be like 200 BPM. Otherwise it's not going to, you know, make whatever category somebody wants to put us in. And uh, yeah, I just don't play by those rules, man. I play by my own rules, I guess. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, and uh, I was having a lot of difficulty, you know, kind of just categorize it. And eventually I came to the conclusion that it's kind of like Trepticon with tombs where, you know, they draw in a lot of different influences, goth and post-punk and all of that. Sure. And uh, and they're able to execute, you know, some very, very catchy melodies. And, you know, and everything that I noticed about your music is that a lot of the songs, there's like purpose to each individual section. You know how a lot of bands will have kind of like a riff salad, especially with OSDM nowadays, where it's kind of composed and it's like riffs that sound cool. But once they're stitched together, um, it's just kind of a riff salad. But your music is there's like a narrative structure each place in the song has its purpose to drive the song along so do you when you approach the songwriting process do you like conceptualize the entire song rather than bits and pieces within it it kind of varies actually because i mean there there are some songs that i've written like in one sitting you know like okay it just comes out and this is the way it is and it makes sense and you know i'll make like a demo recording of it and i'll send it to the other guys and everyone's cool oh this sounds great you know let's, let's go for it and then Lately, it's been like revision after revision after revision. Like we're, we're demoing material right now um, for like the next record, you know, two, two tracks we're working on. And one of them is version six and the other one's version seven. So they're like a, an amalgamation of all these different ideas that I've been working on for the past, you know, actually in some, in one case, it's been an entire year that I've been playing around with this one song. And, um, that's not, you know, that's not typical. I mean, typical, it's a little bit quicker than that, but you know, it, it's really a case by case basis. Cause like, you know, this one particular idea is like, all right, I really want to make sure that this is uh, fully realized and, you know, and, and done the right way. And I'm not going to have any regrets when I record it finally and look back on it and be like, well, maybe I should have did it this way. Right? So that one has grown and changed. And there's been parts of other demos that I abandoned that have been incorporated into this new song and, so yeah, I mean it's it's like there has to be like um you know purpose for everything. There has to be like a place for all the different parts and there has to be a story. And uh you know, I mean I, I mean obviously I love music, but I also I'm really I would say I'm almost these days more influenced by writing and films, not so much in this like pretentious way where like oh I'm writing a score, but like the way there's a storyline, the way there's like a beginning, a middle and end. And that's how I approach songwriting. You know, similar to, um, you know, I love reading. So either you, know, you read a story, there's a, a beginning, a middle, and an end. And I think music should follow that same trajectory. And that's uh, that's pretty much my approach to it. I mean, I don't just throw things, all right, we need to have like a, this part, you know, and I just rather everything be efficient and serve a purpose and carry the story of the song. And that's, that's pretty much my approach to it. Yeah, yeah I think um, Go ahead. a problem that, a lot of, I hear in a lot of modern music is they tend to be overly fixated on their influences and they do try to chuck 
everything in the kitchen sink into their music without really necessarily thinking about the story aspect of it. And I think that is a really undervalued kind of trait of music. And it's interesting that you reference like literature and so on, because sometimes that, that comes through in music. You can tell that it is trying to convey that narrative aspect and um, making sure that every single aspect serves that purpose. Um, and yeah, I think that is a problem with a lot of modern metal is it's so keen on just chucking different elements and different influences in without necessarily thinking about that that wider broader picture it's important yeah i agree man totally and, and that's not to say i don't love music that is you know just like we just finished a tour with origin and those guys are just like you know technical and that's their that's their purpose is to write technically challenging music that's like interesting and pushes the limits of speed and, you know, really fast tempos. And that's, that's their trip. You know, and that's not, well, first of all, I can't play that like that, <laughs> number one. And that's just not something that for me creatively is interesting to do in a band. Like even if I had the abilities of Paul Ryan, which that guy's like an incredible guitar player. Like, I, I don't think I would express myself that way, but you know, that's, that's his, his voyage and mine's what I'm doing. Yeah. I'm actually on one of the origin albums, omnipresent, and I did some synthesizer stuff on there. And Paul, is, oh, yeah. I love Paul. And uh, and uh, yeah, you're certainly right. Like he plays a million miles an hour. It's just like, Dude. how the hell does he do those flurries of arpeggios? Yeah, and, nah, those guys are incredible, man. And they're so friendly too. I remember one time yeah. I, I had uh, gone into their tour bus and drank all their beer and they didn't give a shit. So um, very, very friendly guys. And eventually Paul will come on this podcast. He's already agreed to it. Just need to sync up and excellent. Great guest too. Um, so uh, going back to the narrative structure about the songs um, and the concepts that you're working with. Um, I saw the new EP from tombs, which I wanted to bring this up later in the podcast, but now is a good time. Um, it's uh, called Ex Oblivion, and that is based on the short story by H.P. Lovecraft, which happens to be my favorite short story by Lovecraft for, uh, I don't know, for the same reasons uh, that you have, but um, essentially, you're welcome to say the story, but uh, um, H.P. Lovecraft was greatly influenced by the works of Arthur Schopenhauer, the philosopher, when he wrote that, and kind of the ending of Ex Oblivion it's kind of reminiscent on like what's at the end of, you know, like the conscious experience of, you know, day-to-day -day life. And when you delve into like Schopenhauer's works, um, he, he boils everything down to pretty much just determinism that, you know, we're here just to have kids and reproduce. And, but underneath that reality, um, there's like a great metaphysical will that drives us to do so. And, but it doesn't really take into consideration our conscious experiences and all that. And at the end of Ex Oblivion, it's all about diminishing that conscious experience. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's, um, I wouldn't say our song is like, it's, in, it's inspired by that concept, but it's not like a retelling of that story necessarily. I mean, you know, I also would throw like Thomas Ligotti is like uh, more, I would say Ligotti is probably more inspired by Schopenhauer than, than Lovecraft really. And uh, the two concepts I was kind of playing around with were there's a story by Ligotti called uh, The Darkness, The Shadow, which is like, you know, basically addressing the same topics that you're discussing when you're talking about Ex Oblivion. And, uh, you know, a lot of that, like that story essentially is like someone wondering about what lies beyond the portal of life. And then there's, you know, these 
the consciousness like coming up with these fantasy worlds of like okay there's like this beautiful garden or city on the other side of this doorway and then when it's too late you realize the doorway is open and then you see just blackness beyond that and uh <laughs> that's you know that that follows my very bleak worldview as well and um so i mean that that feeling is what went into the ex oblivion track that we did and i just to differentiate it we spell it differently than the Lovecraft story, you know. That's, yeah, yeah, he has an E on the end of Ex Oblivion or whatever yeah. you pronounce that. And uh, uh, going into your uh, martial arts experience, like Muay Thai, another correlation that I can make to that is like when someone gets knocked the fuck out and they go black, it's kind of like, you know, ending the consciousness for a second there. <laughs> and they come back and they're like all disoriented and all of that. But, you know, they're it's like, oh, yeah, I'm alive. I'm experiencing life and all this. But that moment when they get knocked out, you know, those lights go out and they, 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 they pass through that gate. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I've never been knocked out. I've been choked unconscious in jiu-jitsu before, but not I've never been KO'd in Muay Thai. Um, I've been, you know, hit pretty hard and rocked pretty hard, but I never lost my consciousness through that sport. But um, you know, one time I was tra you know, training jujitsu and I was like, what happens if I don't tap to this choke? And I just, this narrowing portal of, um, you know, just like this, everything turned into this like really small circle and then there was just blackness. And then, <laughs> so uh, I don't know how long I was out, probably just a few seconds, I imagine. And then, um, you know, I woke up and everyone was like standing around me and I was like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I had a very similar experience. I was in the uh, the Air Force, but um, off duty, uh, UFC was really big at the time. Um, we was far behind the barracks, and um, someone got me in a headlock. And they didn't like cut off the uh, airflow; they just cut off the blood flow. Yeah, it was a blood choke. Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden, it's like I'm waking up off the ground. I was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> like, just crazy. Um, yeah, crazy, very disorienting when you come back from something like that. And, uh, yeah, pass through that gate for a moment there and uh, come back to reality is like, okay. The survival instinct comes back, too, where, you know. I'd, I'd much rather get, get uh, choked unconscious with a blood choke than get suffocated. Like, I think being suffocated is more uh, uncomfortable than the blood choke, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, you don't feel it. That's the thing. So, yeah. Um, very cool. Very cool. So, uh, the main reason you're on the podcast today is because I discovered Scorpion Throne. And uh, with that, I thought it was like really great black metal textures that you're putting together. However, once I delve really into tombs, I'm seeing a lot of the, the same kind of textural components in tombs that are in Scorpion Throne. However, the member, the other members in Scorpion Throne are different than tombs, uh, other than the drummer is an ex-member of tombs. So why did you want to put uh, Scorpion Throne together um, while you have tombs going on? I mean, Scorpion Throne is a, more of a project kind of band. You know, I don't imagine us playing live ever. It's more of, um, I just wanted to do something different. And um, I had a bunch of material that, you know, just felt like it belonged somewhere else, you know, and not necessarily as tombs, you know, material. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm always working on stuff, you know what I mean? And, and uh, just something that's more personal, I guess, which sounds ironic since, um, you know, I'm the only remaining member of tombs that's <laughs> was on the first album and 
the band has always been very personal, but this is just something that was um, had more of an open-ended kind of vibe to it where there's like, you know, I can make like an electronic record and call it Scorpion Thrones, or I can make an ambient record and call it that, you know, or I could make what I, what I just put out. I mean, there's, there's a lot of material that is still in the works right now. That's even more different than the stuff that we have on that four song um, offering that just came out. Um, I originally, I, I was even thinking about just doing with like program drums and playing all the instruments myself and just, you know, really have it as a solo project. But um, I realized I kind of missed playing with Andrew and he and I are, you know, really tight friends. And I just asked him, I said, you know, rather than me trying to make beats, why don't you play drums on it? And he was like, yeah, I'd love to, love to play, you know, start working together again. And then uh, same thing with Bates. It's like my, my friend, Mike, Mike, um, Mike G plays in a bunch of bands over here in the New York, New Jersey area. You know, Windfarer is a great band, Replicant. Future Sension is a band that he does with my drummer, Justin from Tombs. Um, he's just a guy that like, I, you know, we always talk about music. We always have a lot of the same interests. And I just asked him if he wanted to play bass on it. And uh, so that's how the core of the band formed. I, I'd already had the four songs written. And, um, you know, Andrew lives in Ithaca, New York, and he was able to record his drums up there. And then Mike recorded everything at home. He sent me the drum track, uh, the uh, bass tracks. And, uh, and Justin, the tunes drummer, he mixed everything. And um, yeah, just like a friend, you know, friend, friend thing, like family project, you know, it's, it's all people that are friends. And, and I guess that's what was, was really what was important um, to me was where it was like a very uh, brotherly experience, you know, and, and um, you know, the songs themselves, like they were very dark and, um, you know, and, and I'm, I'm the kind of person who's like, I'm the, the go it alone kind of guy. Like I don't reach out to people really when I have like hard times. And in a way, I guess this was like a way for me to reach out to my friends and, and, um, you know, kind of weather this like particularly hard period I was going through. I see. Um, so, it's interesting ahead. that just because the Scorpion Throne EP, like it's, it is clearly rooted in black metal, but it's quite, um, I guess the word would be experimental, although I don't like using that term because it's a bit vague. Um, but it is, you know, it has a, a real character of its own that's not quite like anything that I could place off the cuff. Um, so, yeah, again, was it sort of, was that kind of like a spontaneous process or did you set out deliberately sort of from a point of creative freedom, something very different to uh, tunes. Yeah, well, that was, that was the only criteria was that it had to be different than what we were, what I was doing with tunes. And, um, you know, but I mean, obviously, since I'm the one writing the, the material, it's like, obviously there's going to be a similarity to it. But I think that was, that was the criteria. Like I have like, I mean, I, I'm, I can look on my hard drive. There's 25 songs that I wrote for this project and I picked four. <laughs> so it's like, I just went through the whole thing and I had this very, very tight criteria and things that didn't sound like they belonged with tombs. I wanted to make into this project and, um, and whatever, you know, whatever turned out that I felt strongly about was what ended up on the four songs. And, uh, you know, there's some of this stuff. I, I'm actually surprised that people 
to me, it doesn't really sound like black metal. It's like, to me, there's like, I hear like, you know, more of like a Sam Hain kind of vibe, like more of like a, um, you know, like, like swans or like death in June or something, you know, I mean, what, what do I know? You know what I mean? I just like, that's what I was thinking, but you know, if other people interpret it differently, that's totally cool too. You know? I think I wouldn't say it's typical black metal by any measure, but there's the musically there's, it's definitely kind of rooted in that. But when you, yeah, when you mention Swans or Death in June, you c- I can definitely get that vibe as well. I'd call it like glum rather than grim, I suppose. Yeah, there you go. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was, uh, I was, you know, sort of channeling uh, my British uh, countryside uh, music, you know, that, I, you know, it's funny, like that style, you know, like that Death in June style, you know, is to me very British, you know, and I, that's, that's all, you know, all the post punk stuff I like is, is definitely, you know, you know, very front and center in this material. And that's all I associate that with the UK. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, it, it's kind of made for like damp weather, gray skies. Yep. Uh, yeah, just miserable parks and industrial estates. Yeah. Yep, <laughs> and that's definitely. what we're in June. So speaking about uh, black metal, um, being that, you know, I, I view Scorpion Throne being, you know, quite rooted in black metal, and I thought the textural components were really good. Um, but uh, what are your thoughts on black metal in general? Uh, do you view it as, like, the most artistic form of extreme metal, if that makes sense? Because I kind of do. I, I, I view that, you know, death metal is so, you know, there's so many complex riffs and all that and black metal just throws that all out of the window makes you know more about feeling and expression do you view that as more as artistic than other metal genres yeah i agree with that completely i think that right now i think black metal is like at a very very good spot you know in its development because there's so many different bands all over the world making great music you know there's a whole bunch of australian bands that are incredible in my opinion like the amenta is an incredible band from australia and they're creating music that's like so experimental and um forward thinking and unique um you know and there's uh you know tons of of great even even some bands that started in the 90s are are making great music now too like uh you know blue house nord their new record is amazing um you know I, i just think right now it's a wide open field and people are comfortable with uh, expressing themselves and not being tied into this kind of orthodoxy that death metal, unfortunately has that. However, death metal also, there's a, there's a ton of bands like grave miasma that are like really pushing the boundaries of that style of music too. Like they're clearly a death metal band, but they have, you know, this very, very grim like sound and, you know, they, they have, texture and it's not just riffing and a million miles a minute blast beats and that sort of thing and very i just think it's just, yeah very atmospheric yeah yeah totally and that's like the main thing like for me at this stage i'm really looking to create an atmosphere um i mean i want to play the parts well and be a good musician and all that but but atmosphere is really the big thing for me right now i see i see so that's interesting um so with black metal and especially like scorpion throne and you know there's a lot of black metal elements in tombs as well but tombs is like i was saying earlier like a mass assimilation of a lot of different influences 
Um, and I read in one interview that, uh, like, you were really influenced by Emperor at one point. Um, so were you kind of, I know you don't want to mimic, like, the Scandinavian black metal scene at all, um, but do you still kind of draw parallels from that with uh, what you're creating on Scorpion Throne? Not so much with Scorpion Throne. I, I mean, honestly, it's like, well, I mean, most people, at least the last few years, categorized Tombs as a USBM band. I mean, we were, you know, recently appeared in a book about US black metal. So, I mean, I don't know if like, you know, maybe some of that post-metal nonsense is falling to the wayside at this point. Um, I mean, Emperor, I would I would actually say Emperor has been more of an influence on, on Tombs and more, um, you know, gothic elements and... Jeff Whitehead, specifically in the United States, has been an influence on Scorpion Throne. You know, Jeff Whitehead, in my opinion, is the most important guy to modern black metal, you know, more so even than like Emperor, in my opinion. I mean, that guy has pioneered music in ways that those bands and those artists, you know, aren't even able to do things like, like the stuff that Whitehead has done. And, um, you know, I think that Jeff is more of a profound influence on me than any of the original Scandinavian bands are at this point in my life, you know, and that's, that's just kind of how I, you know, you move past all that stuff. You know, I mean, I started listening to black metal in the early nineties. Like, you know, when I read an article about, you know, Burzum and it was like, wow, this sounds like really cool, interesting, evil stuff. And, you know, that was like the point in my life where I was like getting into like, you know, reading about Satanism and, you know, Alistair Crowley and, Thelema and like all this other, you know, occult sort of things and, you know, Norse mythology and paganism and all that stuff was like very much in the forefront. And that's what attracted me to black metal back then. But um, as time went on creatively, a lot of those, a lot of those artists like just stagnated, you know, and just stayed in, in that one particular era. You know, like I said, guys like Jeff Whitehead and bands like the Amenta from Australia you know, um, I'm really pushing things in a direction that's um, that's new and unique. Would you say um, part of that appeal is a function of maybe um, being in a more urban environment? So a lot of the Scandinavian bands, they're invoking either sort of Norse mythology or nature or, or the occult in some way. But the striking thing that American black metal bands brought to the fore in the 2000s onwards, um, Leviathan included, was um, using the same kind of techniques and textures, but making it much more, I don't know, urban, concrete um, alienation rather than alienation in sort of the natural world or, or things beyond our immediate experience. Um, and working in, you know, elements of industrial and post-punk at the same time as well. So would you say the appeal kind of sits partly in the experiences of the musicians as well? Yeah, I think there's definitely truth to that. I mean, you know, it's um, living in an urban environment, you know, New York City and, uh, you know, other cities across the, the world. Uh, you're not necessarily isolated physically from people. You're isolated like emotionally from things. And um, that could be one of the key elements in the way that more modern U.S. and U.S. black metal has progressed. I mean, you know, of course, there's like bands like Wolves in the Throne Room who are like, you know, they're into nature and all this sort of stuff. But I think in general, the music that really resonates with me has that sort of uh, 
urban alienation sort of vibe to it. Anxiety, you know, fear, uh, you know, these like dark streets, you know, that, that, that whole thing is a very, very much part of the experience, I think, in, in modern like U.S. black metal. Also, I, I, I kind of draw a parallel that, uh, you know, you're, you're talking about Jeff Whitehead. I view his music as very introspective, as I do yours and uh, other U.S. BM artists, whereas you look at the second wave of black metal going from Norway, um, a lot of those guys, they wanted to uh, come up with their own form of music, essentially, and it was really an outward expression um, with that um, because they wanted to challenge what was the standard of death metal and show that it's like, no, you know, death metal is too fun. We need to be more serious with our music. And it was like this outward expression with the second wave. Whereas, you know, it's been so many years since that in USBM, um, you know, there's so many different gradations of what USBM is, but, um, but I, I kind of view like a lot of it is very introspective, not necessarily urban, um, but yes, there could be an urban aspect to that, but more of like uh, not liking being around, you know, the cityscapes and uh, mundane reality where, you know, there's all these concrete cities and no heat sinks, you know, things like that. Um, but I view it as, you know, a lot of USVM is very introspective. Um, would you agree with that? Yeah, no, definitely. I, I totally agree with that. And um it's less like the second wave, I think, was like reacting, like a reactionary kind of thing where they were like, OK, well, you know, there are bands like Morbid Angel and whatever, like doing their thing. They got full color painted record covers or whatever. I mean, you know, even though Morbid Angel to me is a pretty grim band, especially in their you know, Altars of Madness and Blessed, Blessed Are the Sick, you know, those are, you know, great records. And uh, I think anything that came out post 2000 is more it's not so hung up on reacting to death metal, but, and trying to, you know, be anti death metal and just use black and white imagery or whatever, having crappy recordings. Like, you know, that, that's kind of like, that, that's not really the vibe, you know, it's, it's trying to express internal darkness and create something to the best of your ability and not necessarily, you know, and if you're the best of your ability is like with your laptop at home, that's fine. You know, that's all, that's okay. But if you want to create like a, you know, in an auditory sense, this totally crushing album that has all these technical ability being showcased, that's also valid too. You know, there isn't like, okay, we can only play these three chords in our songs because, you know, I, I mean, I, I get it from back then, but now it's like 20 years later, at least actually more like 30 years later. And, you know, you, things can't, you can't have this orthodox approach to the music, you know, otherwise you're just going to be like a rockabilly group that's playing Elvis riffs, you know, or something like that. You know, that's how I see it at least. Yeah. It's interesting. You bring up the sort of aspects of, um, I mean, it's, it's been kind of uncharitably called bedroom black metal because people record it in their bedroom on a laptop. But I, again, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that if that's the, the the means by which someone can express themselves and it resonates. But it's interesting that especially since black metal got over its kind of being its bonnet about death metal, a lot of the key artists fell into sort of making ambient music because they've, they've found it a more... Uh, a freer kind of form of expression because you're not limited to 
you know, the particular guitar tone that you have to get for black metal and the, the blast beats and the vocals and so on, you have you have much more freedom to explore sounds and textures and how they can be built up. Um, and again, that's kind of how I would listen to a lot of um, more modern black metal is because it's far less riff focused. It's more focused on atmosphere. I find it much more enjoyable if I approach it like an ambient album rather than a, a metal album, one that's designed, like composed and designed to be listened to at home. It's not designed to be played live or yes. be, yeah, like a band experience. It's more like a soundscape experience. I, I dig that for sure. I mean, and that's, you know, some of those bands that I, that I love, like, you know, Leviathan, Zaster, you know, that's especially Zaster too. I mean, Zaster to me, a lot of that sounds like you know, very ambient oriented. There's like slow, slow tempos, you know, and this, everything just it exists in this like weird cavernous, like, you know, soundscape basically. We are on the, the documentary uh, One Man Metal where Zaster appears. I do remember him saying in that interview that he, even if he was required to play live, he couldn't remember the songs because he sort of writes and records immediately. And again, that kind of, there's, there's kind of a, a purity to that that I quite enjoy. It's quite spontaneous and it's kind of fits the way that he composes perfectly rather than, you know, spending hours trying to sort of relearn the songs for a live setting because they weren't designed for that. Yeah, I, re I, re I responded to that too because, um, you know, in a band that tours and everything, you know, you you spend a lot of time rehearsing and putting a set list together, and you know, doing the songs over and over again so you can perform them live. And if you don't ever perform live, like that, that song really is a window into like a very specific node in your life, and uh, you may never, as an artist, revisit that point again. You know what I mean? And I think that's really interesting. That's an interesting environment, really. You know, and yeah, I mean, I love, I listen to those records all the time. So for me as a listener, it's like part of my reality, but as a creator, like, you know, Jeff Whitehead or the guy in Zaster, it's like, that's over. That's part of the past. And they probably don't even think about those songs anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and also like on the flip side, like older bands who are live bands who have been going 30, 40 years, you, you, you tend to end up resenting the songs that you wrote when you were <laughs> a kid and having to still play them like <laughs> over and over again. But yeah. um, just to go back to uh, tunes, um, we, we did discuss like the mesh of influences, but one of the ones I got was um, uh, sludge metal as well. I wondered if you have any kind of views or relationships to that sort of going all the way back to bands like neurosis and so on. Um, oh yeah. hundred percent. Neurosis is like, they're, they're, have always been a huge influence on me. Um, you know, I, it's funny to think, I think of them as like punks, you know what I mean? Like they're these like kind of like East Bay guys, you know, that are punk rock dudes, you know, and they just got, were, were pushed, pushing their music in a, their own unique direction. Like they, they're, they're, they're pioneers really. I mean, if you think about how they started out, you know, and then, they make records like, you know, Enemy of the Sun, you know, <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, like they started as a hardcore punk band and then their first yeah. album is pretty straight, straight up punk, like, <laughs> yeah, punk rock, like crust kind of guys. Yeah. But yeah, like that, that style was very influential on the metal scene on both sides of the Atlantic from 
the late 2000s on. And I, I, I remember at the time just not being very interested in it because I was fixated on black metal. That's, that's my wheelhouse. But everyone was into either the, the sludge metal uh, or what's loosely referred to as post-metal or like the stoner rock stuff as well. Um, and it's something I've come to appreciate a bit more recently, but it's also, I don't know if it's waning in popularity now, but it was, it was huge around like the late 2000s, early 2010s. Like, yeah, just that seemed to be the the vibe that metal was in at that time. Yeah, no, for sure. You know, I mean, I mean neurosis, like probably the height for their, their, for them, I think career wise, their height was like mid nineties, like 97, 98, you know, when through silver and blood was out and they were, doing Ozfest and touring with Pantera and doing all this crazy stuff. And that, yeah. that's probably when they actually crossed over into, into metalheads, you know, world, because, uh, you know, prior to that neurosis was like, you know, touring with bands that were like on alternative tentacles and, you know, kind of like these noise rock, like, like they would tour like unsane or something like that, you know, and when they started doing these bigger high profile metal tours, I think is that's when it started sinking in with metalheads, you know, that, that this is actually something viable. Yeah, definitely. They, they sort of have that crossover appeal where they could sort of span a lot of different scenes and yeah. kind of reach out like that. Um, the other band I was thinking of, I was just remind, reminded that I saw Neurosis a couple of years ago in London, but they were supported by Godflesh as well. Oh man. They yeah. Have that crossover appeal where I meet, like goths or just fans of straight up indie that are huge fans of Godflesh or fans of electronica as well but they're still very much within within the metal milieu as well yeah it's weird we, we played with Godflesh in the states here um at um they did like three shows in the united states and then we played the new york date with them and uh their their fans are, are a lot different than i thought they would be actually it's um <laughs> yeah i mean I mean, I got into Godflesh when they were, you know, like in like an Eric band, you know, they were toward like Napalm Death and like death metal people like Godflesh. And so I'm approaching it more from that, you know. And then like when we toured, we've been a tour with them, we just did that one date. We played in New York with them. It was like a very um like a like a crowd that probably knew nothing about death metal or metal at all. You know, I mean, there were people that were there that were interested in, in us, you know, but you know, by and large, it's a Godflesh show. And, you know, I mean, we were direct support, but like, <clears throat> you know, it was mostly their fans, obviously, you know, and, and there was like people who were like, what's all this bullshit like on stage? You know, <laughs> I was like, wow, what a surprise, man. I was like, you know, I remember seeing Godflesh like open, you know, play with like obituary and stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's weird that because whenever I've seen them in the UK and Europe, like they, they're in a metal context, like their crowd is very much metalheads or they play metal festivals um they're always like you know the the outlier band because obviously they have you know the drum machine and the very like harsh industrial sound but it, yeah. it's very much like a metal experience still but i have always been aware that they have that that broad appeal as well and i think that they're there i always put them on that list of like metal bands for non-metalheads because non-metalheads sometimes find the the either the textures of black metal too alienating or the the riff salad of death metal too dense whereas the bands that we're discussing tend to create a bit more space and a bit more like a bit more of a breathing space for the listener to kind of immerse themselves whereas death metal there's no there's no entry point you just have to kind of dive in I suppose. well Shelley, can i add on to that um 
Back, uh, another Air Force story. I was dating a girl while I was living in Japan, and she liked the band Tool. I'm like, well, Tool ripped off Godflesh. Here's Street Cleaner. And she dug that. So that's someone who wouldn't be necessarily metal in our eyes that was able to get into uh, the Godflesh. Um, but yeah, what are your thoughts on Pitch Shifter? I recently rediscovered that band and their industrial album, which is Total Godflesh Worship. Have you heard that, Mike? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I have that record. It's cool, you know, but like it is a very heavily influenced a record that I mean, it's a Godflesh record, really. You know what I mean? It's like, I mean, it's cool. Like I have it, you know, I, I backed that band, you know, I've seen them live like back, you know, years ago, you know, I support their, you know, ability to go out there and do things, but really let's, you know, let's be honest here. You know, it's a very, very, you know, uh, you know, it's a Godflesh record. You know what I'm trying to say? So, <laughs> Godflesh clone band or something like that. Like, yeah, like, but, yeah. but I, I, they're good though. Like, I still like their songs though. It's cool. I mean, there's, you know, they're just, it's just not incredibly, um, you know, original, shall we say. You know? The thing about Pitch Shifter is the moment they started to sound more like themselves and not Godflesh with their second album, Desensitized, they started mm -hmm. to bring more like ministry influences in as well. But I, I still think it's a good album. It's a good, catchy, kind of groovy industrial metal album. But the moment, the more they found their identity, the more they kind of fell into the new metal trap, which is a bit of a curse um, yeah. for them, which is a shame because they could have been a quite a nicer compliment to God, Godflesh. But, uh, but yeah, I won't, I won't labor that point too much, I suppose. That's <laughs> yeah, not totally, you know. Yeah, but Tool, I, I, I like Tool as well. I mean, I saw the first time I saw Tool, they were opening for the Rollins band. And I was like, this band's kind of interesting. You know, they got really good drummer. They got like a, this dude... You know, it's like skinny dude with like funny haircut, like the singer, you know, and uh, he's singing. I don't know. I thought I thought they were pretty cool. You know, I yeah, I'm not I wouldn't I'm not wouldn't say I'm the biggest fan, but but I, I admire their, you know, their creativity and they they do interesting music, I think. Well, they're another like ambiguous band, I guess, in that a good chunk of metalheads like them, but they do have that cross appeal like i've i've never been a fan but i don't re i don't resent them but yeah. they are a good like crossover band where people will either get into metal through them or or people will kind of experience the metal scene via tool um because they have that crossover appeal amongst like you know fans of all sorts of genres will probably like them so yeah very cool very cool uh so i do have a couple more questions um what are your thoughts on elitism, Mike? Elitism, um, like, do you, do you like? Do you think we well, want me to answer the question as, am I an elitist, or no, do no. I think that people are elitists? <laughs> like, no, I like mean, my thoughts like, on. From my perspective, I had never heard of Tombs until I invited you on this podcast. Okay, uh, I might be considered an elitist because I'm more into like the old school death metal, second wave black metal, things of that ilk. And, uh, you know, I had to really approach your music with open mind to appreciate it. And, you know, that took some effort on my end because, you know, I'm so used to the forms that I'm used to. And, it, you know, I had, uh, you know, the first time I heard tunes, I'm like, well, this sounds like, you know, either Triptychon, Belphegor, things of that ilk. And, yeah. uh, and then I sat down and listened, I'm like, where are all these influences coming from? Then I had to start wrapping my mind around it. And then I was able to pinpoint specific things, but as a whole, like we were talking about earlier, like 
your your songwriting capability is top notch, is up there at the best. Oh, thank you. And uh, you know, say for my instance, say I never came around to liking tunes because I'm so entrenched in the quote unquote like old school death metal and second wave black metal things of that nature. What are your thoughts about people like that? Well, you know, you you miss out on a lot of cool things. I think you know in in life really you know it's like I, I never identified with any of that because i always liked a lot of different things you know and it's like you know i i like all kinds of music so i i never would felt like i was could relate to being an elitist in any way really i mean I, i'm an elitist because i like good music you know music that i like you know but I'm op- I, I've always been open to things, you know, and I guess that's why I can never understand people. That just, I only like uh, technical metal, you know, or something like that, you know, which I actually experienced that on the origin tour. You know, there are kids who only listen to technical metal. They're just like Art Spire and like Origin and, you know, Allegiant, like bands like that. And I'm like, man, don't you want to listen to like, I mean, I, I don't care, honestly. Like at the end of the day, it really has nothing to do with me. You know, it's like, I like what I like. If it's, you know, I listen to Twin Tribes, I listen to Triptychon, I listen to Celtic Frost, I listen to Joy Division, whatever. You know, I listen to, you know, Lebanon Hanover, like all these bands that are have nothing to do with each other. But, um, yeah, I just feel like it's, it's you're, you're selling yourself short by only being into one thing, you know. And I think that, uh, you know, eventually you probably get bored and give up on music uh, completely. <laughs> you know, it's like if you only have this very myopic uh, viewpoint, you know, you might get bored and, you know, someday you'll wish that you did check out some of this other stuff. You know, I think it's important. I'm not not speaking to you directly. I'm speaking to one one would miss out on things, you know, if they were more open. Yeah. uh, I think it's important to distinguish between elitism Oh, well, sorry, closed-mindedness and quality control. So someone that's closed-minded might be someone that just listens to technical death metal or just listens to war metal or whatever. Yeah. And those kind of people I don't really understand because, yeah, as you say, you're showing yourself off to a whole wealth of experiences. But then there's that some people confuse that with people that have quality control. I have no problem saying if I think music's shit, if I know why I think it's shit, Sure. And if, I mean, if it's clearly not aimed at me, then fine, whatever. But if I think it's doing a disservice to music or it's it's a lower quality version of something that is already out there and does really better, people might call that elitist, but I call that quality control. I'm just saying that I have tastes. I think that some music is better than other kinds of music or some bands are better than other bands. And I have no problem just arguing about that. It's not... No, my word isn't final. I don't think I have any more authority than anyone else, but there is a there is a discussion around that, I think. But when terms, I know someone mentioned it earlier, but when terms like hipster get thrown around, I think terms like that have kind of lost all meaning because I've been called a hipster, I've called people hipster, which means it's kind of just, it's just a term that people throw around when they're kind of given up on discussing stuff now. But I think there's still, <laughs> there's still space in there to sort of say some music is disingenuous, poor quality and some music is not <laughs> yeah i mean yeah you know, i lived i lived in brooklyn during the height of uh you know the quote-unquote hipster uh you know era so you know I, I i don't know i just think it's funny like i understand you know that but 
I guess I, you know, in some ways I am a hipster, you know, I like craft beer, you know, I like, uh, <laughs> you know, good coffee, stuff like that. I was, you know, wondering, I about like that. I was wondering about that because I know like, <laughs> you know, the hardcore scene that's really popular up there as is like the straight edge scene or used to be, I was wondering if you're straight edge or not. And you just answered that because you at least like beer whether it be in craft beer or whatever, but you like beer, so it's really cool. Hey, I like a craft beer as well. I'm a oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, that, that warm beer you gave me in Leeds, I believe, was one of the worst I've ever had. That wasn't craft beer. That was a good English real ale. That's a very different thing. <laughs> that's, that's the raging debate in the beer scene in the UK is uh, trying to imitate US craft beer or trying to stick with traditional warm English ale. Um, and the debate rages on. It's kind of similar, kind of with a similar kind of toxicity to the debates in metal, if I'm being honest. So, <laughs> I think there's room for both, actually. You know, I mean, there I is. Know, I, like I, both. I like both. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, just to answer your question, now, hardcore has like no real meaning to me in my life, honestly. It's like I, you know, maybe when I was a kid, I was in the hardcore, you know, it's like obviously Black Flag is like, you know, one of my favorite bands. And that's, pretty much where it ends i mean i like you know yeah i mean like hardcore is not important to me at all really i mean i don't really i don't listen to hardcore like i like i appreciate like uh you know first couple chromags records and you know i never go see hardcore bands unless they're friends you know like one of my you know some of my friends playing bands like that i'll go see them but i don't you know i don't have anything to do with that scene and uh you know as far as like straight edge it's like uh conformity of all that stuff is like no i i don't i don't like conforming to anything man it's like i i'm not a big partier like i don't party you know what i mean but i do appreciate quality you know things like a nice beer here and there so i don't know i just like i do my own thing man like that's really what it comes down to it it's like i don't you know hard hardcore music is like very i don't know it just seems very regimented and i don't know you, you uh, it seems very uninclusive in some ways too. So, I so I was uh, um, I, I was googling you for a few days, like various things you've been involved with, just to be prepared for this interview. Mm-hmm. And I ended up on uh, everything went black media Bandcamp, yeah. I believe, and I saw like a uh, like live uh, touring journal entries that you just spoken word to, and uh, one recurring theme throughout. Uh, that was uh you're talking about like the the punk kids whatever uh just there for the beers and all that so it's kind of sure. through a uh perhaps a straight edge kind of persona the way i was approaching no i mean it's not it's it's more about like being a wasted piece of shit as opposed to someone who has control of himself you know like that's really where i'm coming from with that stuff you know it's yeah. like i you know if you drink to excess and you have no control of yourself, then that's something that I find repulsive, really. You know, but that's like what it comes down to having personal discipline about how you conduct yourself. You know, I mean, you don't need people's rules. If you have seen this, this ties into like my sort of like, you know, Crowleyan idea of how to live your life, you know, where you, you create your own sort of rules and you adhere to that. And that's that's how you you should conduct your, yourself, you know. Yeah, um, I definitely uh, Shelly's seen me completely fucking shit faced, but I don't think I ever like 
burn down any buildings or anything like yeah. that. So yeah, I so you have, you, know, you have you have your 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 code of conduct that you have, and you stick to it. That, that's like we could ask Shelly about that. Shelly, did you get rubbed the wrong way when I was trashed? I think I I myself was too drunk to notice. So <laughs> you're all good. <laughs> And uh, we didn't, we didn't. Get, I didn't get a phone for, call from the police in the next few days, so I don't think we uh, did any problems. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. So uh, I do have one last question. Shelly's, you know, more than welcome to raise more, but uh, just seeing that you're a lifer in the metal, um, you know, you've you know been involved with it for so long. At any point, did you feel any like disillusionment with like uh, the underground music industry or anything like that? Not really. I mean, I just, I mean, I, you can, I just really just dialed into what I want to do really. Like I don't look at the bigger picture ever, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, right now we're fortunate to be doing cool things and, you know, put out records on a, a nice record label, you know, season of mist is great. You know, we used to, we've been on relapse records. We finished our obligation with them years ago. And, you know, it's one, you know, you just got to keep that continuum going and you know we get nice tour offers we get to play festivals and you know as long as that's that's something that's great but not necessary for me to continue doing what i'm doing you know it's like i'm always going to be making music and i don't really have i mean i guess from the beginning of this band i was i was just, just like well let's see what happens i wasn't like oh yeah we're going to get a booking agent and sign to this label and make a million dollars and get all these fans, you know, I mean, I never really looked at that as like a goal. It was just more making music, you know, and I know that sounds like bullshit because it's, it's everyone's answer. Oh, I make music for myself, but you have to do that first. If any, before anyone else appreciates what you're doing really, you know, and I guess, you know, if we get dropped by season of mist, I'm not going to break the band up. I'm still going to make music, you know, just put it out on Bandcamp. You know, I, that's pretty much how, you know, how things go with me. Well, I'm sure, like, you know, other than tunes that you've written music where, you know, it's very personal, very meaningful to you and never actually gained any traction. Um, like, how do you feel after that? I know tunes has had great successes and all that, but there had to be some growing pains before tunes. I gotta be honest with you, I, pretty much all the things that I put out there, people seem to like. So, uh, on some level, you know, before tunes, I was in a band called Versoma. We made one record. You know, we did a tour with ISIS. It was like pretty cool. You know, people like people still talk to me about the record, even though I don't really think it's that great. Prior to that, I was in a band called Anodyne, which people to this day are still interested in for some reason. And uh, Scorpion Throne, I put it out there just because why not? You know, and I'm surprised anyone likes it, to be honest. And but people seem to enjoy that as well. So, I mean, I don't know. I just like. You know, I'm, I'm just saying that's the truth of the matter. Like I, I make music for myself that people, other people seem to enjoy. And that's great. That's an added bonus to the creation of that stuff. You know, and I, and I appreciate people enjoying the music, but you know, I don't, there are people out there and I'm not going to name names, but they will spend all day long Googling their name to see what, who says what about them, or is this person paying attention to my stuff or like, who's tagging me or hashtagging me or, and I just don't have time to do that stuff, man. I, and you know, I do what I do. I enjoy what I'm doing. I'm having fun doing it. I appreciate anyone out there who cares 
enough because I put a lot of effort into this stuff, you know, but it's like, if there's five people that like it, that's great. You know, and if there's 500 people that like it, that's also great, you know, but I don't necessarily pander or try to like, you know, I don't, I don't actively try to expand my audience, I guess is what I'm trying to say. You know what I mean? I just keep doing what I'm doing. Like if people like it, that's cool. And if they don't, that's also cool too. I think um, some cliches are cliches for a reason. And that, that point around making music that you enjoy making personally, and if it resonates, then great. I think that's one of those cliches where it is that because it's true um, for a lot of people. And as someone that like writes about a lot of new music, I, I can even I can appreciate stuff that isn't necessarily stuff that I would personally like if I can get a sense that it's sincere and it's come from a good place. And I think that's that's all I ever ask of, of music at the end of the day. And stuff that's insincere or comes from a cynical place that's pandering to a certain thing, that's the only time when it doesn't sit well with me. But even if it's a genre or style or whatever that doesn't vibe with me, I can still you know, recognize, recognize its value because it's come from a place of, of sincerity and honesty. And at the end of the day, that's all we really expect of music, I suppose. Yeah, in pretty much the same way. I mean, nowadays, you know, one, one of the great things about the modern streaming world is you can find out about tons of bands. And like, I found so many bands just through listening to podcasts, like Into the Necrosphere, which is like one of my favorite podcasts. And, um, turned on to so many great bands and it literally is on the quality of their music, not how many people like them or who writes about them. A lot of these bands have no press at all. I just hear about them through word of mouth or being associated through other bands that I like. And then I listen to stuff and I'm like, Oh, this is great. You know, And, and it's completely this like very objective way of finding music. And it has nothing to do with popularity or which guy was in what other band or any of that kind of stuff. And I really like that. Very cool. Very cool. So uh, I, I have run, ran out of questions today. We have reached that hour mark. Um, so I do want to thank you very much for coming on the program today, Mike. Um, I will be playing a, a Scorpion Throne song after this episode is concluded. So people can check that out and see what that's about. Um, so thank you very much for coming on the program today. Thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. And Shelly, always a great pleasure. Yeah, thank you very much. Awesome chat, guys. All right, All right gentlemen. Have a good day. Take care.